been a wonderful start to the year for you, that you felt the joy of the new year with you. This is in the middle of January, uh, apparently one of those times between now and the middle of February when people struggle to have as much joy as they would like. Um, the disappointment of the fact you didn't get what you'd hoped for at Christmas is still with you, uh, the, uh, or possibly. Uh, the, the cost of Christmas is almost certainly still with you. Um, and back to work, and it's quite dark in the mornings, and all that, that kind of stuff, which is seasonal, and God caused it to be that way, and so therefore we should rejoice. Yet sometimes what we should be able to do, we find ourselves um, having difficulty doing, being as rejoicing and joyful as we would like. And so I suspect that we could use a little more joy in our lives. And so that's why we have our title, The Road to Joy. Maybe... Maybe whether we're experiencing as much joy as God planned for us depends on which road we're on, the journey we're taking, where we have come from, and where we're going. Maybe it's about the road we're on. And maybe it's a good time at the beginning of the year to check what direction we're on now because we're setting, we're setting our direction for the rest of this year by what we're thinking and by what our resolutions are and by the attitude we take into the new year. So maybe if we want to see a decent amount of joy this year, we should think about the direction we're on right now. And so we're going to look into this incident in Acts chapter 8 and see what we learn from it about a road and a direction in more than one sense of direction. And we're going to see what we learn from two human characters and one, if you like, spiritual character. We're going to talk about Philip we're going to talk about the Ethiopian, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And as we now read this passage in Acts 8, the conclusion to the chapter, the beginning of verse 26, I'm going to ask us to think about now and as we go through the rest of this time together, uh, who do you identify with most and which character might have the most to offer you today in what he has to teach you share with you, illustrate to you, inspire you with, what can you take away from either Philip or the Ethiopian or the Holy Spirit? And I'm sure there are lessons from all three for us, but I'd like to ask us to pray even as we are reading and thinking here, in, in our spirit, what does God's spirit want to communicate to us as we think about these three characters? So let's dig in and have a look at uh, Acts chapter 8. Acts 8 verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. More likely, really, a scroll, but nonetheless. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, 
And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, who, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So, now, as I'm sure you're aware, there's an awful lot going on in this passage, isn't there? I mean, we could do uh, at least probably 10 different lessons. Let me see that. Uh, just on this passage. So we're going to focus on a few things so that we can get something concrete from it, I do hope. Let's first of all check our geography. Where are we? Um, Philip's been up here in Samaria. Uh, you're, earlier in the chapter, it mentions that. He's been up there doing his, his work there. Simon the sorcerer we talked about uh, last year at some point. He's been up there and he's been told to go to the desert road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza, which is here. The road is not as straight as that, believe me. But nonetheless, that's the direction. So he's, been go he's going south to, to have a rendezvous with the Ethiopians somewhere along that road. So that's the geography of what we're dealing with. What about the Ethiopian? Where is he from? It says in here uh, that Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in the first century, Ethiopia wasn't exactly where it is now. So just so you know, here's present-day uh, Ethiopia, but actually, in the first century, Ethiopia sort of encompassed this area, so which is now Sudan. And so he would have come from roughly somewhere like this and traveled all the way up to here to go to Jerusalem to worship, which is a jolly long way, longer than any of us came uh, this morning, for sure. Um, more like John and Andrea Perez joining us the other week from New Zealand or something. I don't know. But um, a very long journey would have taken what, weeks, I would imagine, and dangerous. Um, and lots more we could talk about that. But we don't have time. So let's go on. And that, now we've got our geography straight. Let's talk about Philip. First question is, what do we learn about Philip from this passage? And my question to you is this. Why might the voice in Philip's head be telling him that what the Spirit has told him is a stupid idea. So I want, I want some answers here from the congregation. So you're Philip, and you, you hear the Spirit say this to you, and you hear that clearly, but you've also got a voice in your head saying, this is a dumb idea. I can't believe the Spirit wants me to do that. Give me some reasons why maybe it's a dumb idea. He's running into traffic. He's running into traffic. Okay. Yeah. Dangerous. Why else might it seem like this doesn't make any sense? I can't believe the Spirit would want me to do this. Why might it seem like a stupid idea? Stefan? Find a lot more people in the towns and the cities to preach the gospel. 
Right, right. He's, he's got the towns, cities and villages where he is. There's plenty of people. It's not like he's, he's short of people. Why go to somewhere where there may not be anybody or not very many people at least? Yeah. Other reasons? Ben? Intimidating. Yeah. Intimidating. Yes. Yeah, why go and confuse and annoy all those people? Mm. Any other reasons, Leon? Kind of implying the unit might be a bit stupid if it was first question. <laughs> you understand what you're reading? Yeah. Mmm. Yeah, yeah. What about he'd have to run. He'd have to run. I don't think they had Nike sandals. <laughs> no, probably not, Dan. He hasn't even got Jewish heritage. Okay, so why talk to this guy who's in the Ethiopian eunuch? I mean, it's a bit different from your traditional he's, standard. Okay, yeah. Good point. He doesn't look like the kind of guy that you'd think was open to this message, right? Yeah. Simon, you had something? I was just saying there might be some kind of language barrier. Could have been a language barrier. We don't know how well this Ethiopian eunuch spoke Hebrew or what language he was his native language. We don't know. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Um, a few thoughts. The work in Samaria is going really well. I mean, let's go back to Samaria here, right? Philip up in Samaria. He's evangelizing all these towns and villages. Everybody's listening. I mean, crowds are following him. They're amazed by his teaching, and lots of people are becoming Christians. So why leave an area of successful mission work to go somewhere where he's not told who he's going to meet, right? He's only told, go to the road. He's not even told what he's going to do when he gets there or who's going to be there. So why leave a success to go to somewhere uncertain? I, I would think that doesn't make any sense. Um, he has just had a bit of a problem with Simon the Sorcerer. Do you remember that, right? And uh, so the, I would suspect that left a bit of a mess to clear up. Wouldn't you want to clear up that mess before you go on to something new? Bit of a controversy around that. Um, as far as we know, God had never spoken to Philip like this before. So how does he really know it's God? How can he be really sure? Especially when you consider that most of the instructions don't seem to make much sense. Uh, Philip doesn't know the reason for this instruction, nor its objective. He's not told he will meet an Ethiopian. He's not told he will meet someone on the road. He's just told to go south to the road. That doesn't seem to, again, make much sense. He's not told why he's going there. It's a dangerous journey. That road is dangerous. It's, um, it's not, I mean, you might think the M25 is dangerous. Um, relatively speaking, it is one of the safest places on earth you could be compared to a place where there were bandits. And what about sustenance? What about... I mean, there aren't, weren't any, there's no Tesco around the corner. How's he going to provide for himself? I mean, there's an awful lot of reasons why this does not seem like a good idea at all. Oh, yes. Um, as some of you know, Penny and I were in Israel recently. And um, there you go. I mean, that's the kind of terrain that he was going across. It's very mountainous. It's up and down. It's not some flat in a tarmac road. And it's baking hot, 40 degrees Celsius or, or, or more. So let me ask you this question. What impresses you about the heart and the actions of Philip? When you think about this, and you think about him, and the barriers that he had to overcome to do what he did, 
What stands out to you that's impressive about his heart and about his, his actions? What would you say? He didn't even think about it. As far as we know, he's like, oh, right, okay, new plans from God, off I go. Amazing. Amazing that. What were you going to say? So. His faith. God was going to take care of it. He, right, he couldn't see where this was going, but he was like, okay, God's got, got reasons, so faith. Anything else? Sean? Thank you. Good. Anything else? Becky? He, he just feels like so ready. It's not just about mm. what he's asked to do originally, but even mm -hmm. when he sees the eunuch, the spirit says to him again about going near the chariot. And right. Yes. Like, he's, he, uh, I mean, to use that word again that we've thrown around this morning, he's so aligned with, with God and with God's spirit that not only is he ready, but he also hears with clarity and you know, knows to obey. Excellent, thank you. That's so true, isn't it? There's so many things that are impressive about Philip. Um, obedience, someone's mentioned. Faith, you mentioned. Um, he went in the direction the Spirit directed him uh, with immediacy, as you said, Bill. Um, something else I thought about is he was willing to go, once he's there and he sees the Ethiopian in the chariot, and the spirit says, go, go to that chariot and stay near it. And he ran up to the chariot. He had to run, as you said. Um, he went in the direction the seeker was already going. He didn't try and change the direction. He didn't try to say, stop the chariot, get out of your chariot. We need to have a chat in Costa Coffee over here because and I'm a bit tired. He ran with the chariot to the chariot. He went in that direction. There's something there for me about going in the direction of the people we're reaching out to not expecting them to, to meet our agenda, yeah. but go with them. I, I find that impressive with him. I also find it impressive that he really knows his Old Testament and is able to explain it. And we have so much richness in those two few verses from Isaiah. I wish we had time for that now. We don't. That's another sermon. But he knows how that applies to Jesus. He's figured it out. He's put it all together. He's been taught it maybe, but he's also able to explain it in a way that makes sense to someone who has no understanding of how this applies to the Messiah and how it applies specifically to Jesus, who is probably someone the Ethiopian has never heard of, or if he has heard of him, probably only heard of him in a negative context. But he's able to do that. He knows, his, he knows the Bible. He knows his Old Testament. He's able to apply it. I also think it's interesting how... His relatively low social standing is not a barrier to him to reaching out to someone and engaging with someone assertively with someone who's of much higher social standing. Treasurer for the queen. Um, that's quite intimidating, I think. But he's assertive. Do you know what you're, you know, do you, do you, can, I, can I help you? I'll, I'll teach this to you. I find that quite interesting. I do think sometimes I find people who I perceive to be of higher social standing or accomplishments or education as difficult for me to talk to on an equal level. 
and of course this is only a, a thing in my head, but it's a real thing in my head. I appreciate that when I was first coming to church in London many years ago now, and I needed to understand some of this, <clears throat> one of the people who taught me the Bible was Chris McGrath. And Chris McGrath, um, at least at that point in his life, I don't think, he certainly didn't have any A-levels, I don't think he had any O-levels or the equivalent of O-levels. Um, he was a boxing butcher from uh, Limerick. Um, that was, he was a, you know, he was an amateur boxer, he was a butcher, I mean, he didn't have any qualifications. But he, he didn't have any problem having the boldness and the courage to reach out to myself, who was someone in a very different life situation. I found that impressive, and it helped me. Because it helped me a lot to see the fact that he really loved me and knew the Bible enough to teach me, even though there was a, quite a big gap between us in many, many ways, at least as the way the society would view it, and I, I certainly felt it. Um, so here we have Philip, an interesting character who has many admirable qualities and acts in great faith and obedience. So that's, that's what we see here with Philip. Let's talk about the, uh, the Ethiopian for a minute, and let's ask the same question. Now, um, with the Ethiopian, what might, uh, what might the voice in the Ethiopian's head be telling him saying that this is a stupid idea. You've got this, this chap running alongside your chariot asking the question, um, do you understand what you're reading? Now, at that point, you've got one voice in your head saying, oh, let's have a chat with him. Another voice in your head saying, no, I don't want to do that. But now, wh why might he not want to have him come up and sit in the chariot? What might be helping to think, no, 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 I'm not going to do that? It could be a scam. It could, he could be a bandit. I mean, you could expect bandits to be attracted to someone who is the treasurer for a queen. Right? That makes sense. Okay, good. Anything else? Other reasons why he might not want to invite Philip up into his chariot. He's reading. He's reading. He's busy. I'm reading. Thank you very much. I'm having my quiet time. I haven't got time to talk to you. So, he's, he's reading. Yeah, okay. He's studying, he's reading, he's thinking. I'm sure you're right. Yes. Philip would not have looked like a rabbi. Uh, he wouldn't have been, come across like a rabbi. And why would an Ethiopian, why would he want to listen to someone who wasn't an official teacher? He wasn't an official teacher. Mm. He must have been running for a little while to be able to understand that he was actually reading that passage. Okay, so he's got to run long enough Absolutely. to hear him reading yes. and then to ask the, inquest the question. Right, so you, you're, watching, you're watching some guy in your wing mirror of your car just, well, just running along for quite a while. What's he doing there? And I think it's a rather strange behavior, yeah? Okay, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like some comedy sketch. Anything else? Any other reasons? He, I'm assuming that he wasn't traveling by himself, that he probably did have other people... I would think so. ...you know, with him, like an yeah. um, So he may have been kind of concerned about what they might have thought, mm. that he was making a really silly decision, just mm. inviting this stranger mm. into the chariot and... Yeah. Yes, that's a very good point. 
how would he look to those who would normally look up to him yes. if he did this? Yes. Yes, good point. Maybe it's just me, but that could have been a, a pride. Like, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm reading this. Someone, someone sits down, not from, my, not from my social arena, not from my entourage, not from mm -hmm. anyone I know, and is asking me if I understand. I would just go, yes, and carry on. <laughs> you know, of course I can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of pride of having to have someone explain something which you're already doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it would be quite that easy. Yeah. Uh, it would be a challenge. Dan? I think he was seeking. Yeah, he was. I think people, if they're genuinely seeking, tend to be more humble. Mm -hmm. They tend to travel all that way to worship. He's <coughs> not his own born religion. Mm -hmm. Somebody converted to Judaism or is interested in it to go and worship. <coughs> mm -hmm. um, and to... And the weird thing is that he's, he's official enough and he's got that much power that if he wants to go and worship, he takes his own entourage with him and back again. Mm. It's like he's like, well, I work for the Ethiopian queen, but I've got a personal, personal um, faith and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Is it okay? Because you're by myself. It's like he takes everyone with him because he wants to go and worship. Mm. I'm not quite sure if there's anybody in that can be also worshiping with him, but he's obviously got. Quite a lot of influence to be able to take all the people with him just so he can go to Jerusalem. Mm. Um, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Seeking. He is seeking. <coughs> it's, in retrospect, it's quite interesting to see that Ethiopian DNA has got a lot of Israeli in it. Well, we do know the word uh, Jewish communities yeah. in the area. We don't know his exact connection, but. but there, there certainly was for that part of the world. Um, I think we've. I think if I was the Ethiopian, I guess I'd be thinking, as someone said, how can I trust? How do I know I can trust this guy? That would be one question. How do I know he won't be harsh with me? Like, do you understand what you're reading? And if I say no, how do I know he's not going to rebuke me? I mean, how do I know he's actually going to be nice to me and helpful? I don't know. I don't know this chap. How do I know he knows what he's talking about? And he might be wasting my time, and I'm a treasurer, and I'm busy. So I don't want some person wasting my time, like some large amount of spam email all of a sudden once you sign up to something. Um, I'm a busy guy. I don't have time. Um, he's from a different place, a different life situation, and a different culture to me. He won't understand me. That could have been one of the uh, objections we see here. So just uh, to wrap up this part on Ethiopian, so what's impressive? We've t already touched on a couple of these things. He is seeking. What else is impressive about the heart and the actions of the Ethiopian? How would you know you were like the Ethiopian? Is it perhaps another way of, of looking at that? Yeah. I'm thinking he's just coming back from Jerusalem, spending a lot of time in the world already. And still, he's doing that, he's reading more. Yes. What an incredible heart. Because mm. Yeah, or, or, yeah, well, after a church service. Oh, well, I've had my fill of God for one day. Now we're going to talk about everything else. But maybe we could carry that through a little bit. Okay, good point. Yeah. Uh, Stefan. I think something Austin, which is real eye-opener for me the inside, was impressive that he went to Jerusalem in the first place because I never realized as a human, he wouldn't be allowed to do the thing. Correct, yes. He would go all the way. To the temple. No, that's correct. And yet he still had that heart. I'm going to go. I'm going to go anyway. Yes. <coughs> so I think that's one thing. The other thing about his heart is that 
there must have been a lot of pain in his heart because of that. Mm. If you read that scripture and he asks, uh, is he talking about himself or someone else? Mm -hmm. And maybe he saw himself in that scripture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Seeking comfort because of his pain. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot going on inside. You have the status and what looks good yeah. and an important job, but inside, mm -hmm. inside. So still, he was like, what am I? Yeah. He doesn't fit in, he doesn't have a, a place. I yes. Good, thank you. Anything else? Stands out? <coughs> but his heart, his actions, Simon. Hmm. He latches onto that yeah. and gets on with it. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously been expressed, you know, explained that he's been baptized. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and bearing in mind, you know, uh, the terrain, right? Um, there's not a lot of water there, right? So when you come across water, you want to make the best use of it. And uh, so, so at some point along this desert road, and it is a desert road, but all right, so again, not a lot of water. Um, he, um, he says, okay, there's enough water for me to get baptized in. Let's stop. Let's get on with it right now. So there's a, a heart for obedience when the opportunity arises. Very, very impressive. Um, I think a couple of other things that impress me is that he does not know where this goes. After his baptism, he's got to go back to Ethiopia. He's going to be on his own. But somehow that doesn't prevent him from taking action in the present with what he knows. So I think that's an, a call to me and those of us who follow Jesus is to act on what we see and know is right now and not worry about the future and where that might take us. And any of us that aren't yet Christians, not to worry about that. If God has taken care of you to get you to this point, he will take care of you after this point. You don't have to worry about what comes next. Becoming a Christian or being restored to the faith or something, you just need to focus on what to do now. That's all that really matters. God will take care of the rest. He may have done. I mean, God had a purpose for him. We don't know what it was, but he had to trust that even though his future wasn't clear, God was going to take care of him. So I, I find that tremendously inspiring. Now, just to finish off, let's talk about the Spirit for a minute because the Spirit is the third major character in this whole passage. Um, a quick question. What would you say do we learn about the Spirit's priorities from this story? What would you say we learn about the Spirit's priorities and the way that the Spirit w works, instructs Philip, works in this whole story? What would you say? What, are, what's, what do we learn about what matters to the Spirit, how the Spirit works, principles perhaps more than specifics because every this is one particular story, but what do you draw out of this? Okay. Mm. 
Yes, God making that all work together. Honoring his promise to, if you seek me, you'll find me. Good, that's one of the Spirit's priorities. People who are seeking will find. Yeah. Right. Yes, there was always success. Mm-hmm. In, in Samaria, Samaria yes. But, but in some respects, there was other people to do Samaria now. That's yeah. all happening, whereas God worried about the individual that mm. didn't have anyone. Mm. And so the Spirit will, will send to everybody who is ready. Good. So this, to the Spirit, one person matters just as much as a crowd. Okay, that's a really important principle for us to think about in the people that we're involved in in our lives and indeed with one another in this fellowship. That individual matters just as much as a, a group or a crowd or a lot of people. Uh, other things I notice, the Spirit uses people who are willing to be flexible. Philip was willing to be flexible. It was, um, um, it was a challenge to him to follow the direction of the Spirit, but he was willing to be flexible. The Spirit uses people who are willing to be flexible. We need to be flexible with our schedule. I know some of us in our life situations don't have a lot of flexibility with our schedule, and that's understandable. And so <clears throat> the, it may be that some of us have this much flexibility in our lives, and some of us have this much flexibility in our lives, but still we can be flexible with this little bit here. And so we, that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus was supremely interruptible. His life was interrupted all the time by people and situations, and he was willing to be interrupted. And in fact, God worked through him most powerfully often at those times when he was interrupted. So we've got to be people who are willing to be interrupted and be flexible. I think that's one of the principles. Um, The individual matters. We've talked about that. One soul is worth a lot of effort. That's a lot of effort. But one soul is worth it. All the prayers, all the fasting, all the chats, all the Bible studies, all the, all the things we do to help someone become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, all that effort is worth it. That's what the Spirit is, I think, showing us here. We learn a lot about the marginalized and the excluded. This is an excluded kind of person. This is a marginalized kind of person. God loves those people who we might not instantly, easily connect with. And the Spirit wants everyone to understand the good news. I'm going to finish by telling you a story uh, from Wednesday this week. Penny and I went for a walk at a place called Stockers Lake in Rickmansworth. Uh, it's a fantastic walk around, lots of birds. We took our binoculars and we had a lovely walk around there on Wednesday. It was, it was cold, it was bitterly cold, but it was beautiful, clear uh, um, uh, light for, for seeing things. We got towards the end of the walk and uh, up to us came uh, an old chap in, in sort of well-worn outdoor clothing. You know, the kind of quite, not quite tatty, but definitely he'd been, spent a lot of time outdoors in this outdoor clothing. And he was very tall, and he turns out he was 84 years old. And he stopped Penny and I, and in his hand he had one of those leaflets you can see there, which is for the, to become a, a friend of Stockers Lake. And he wanted us to become friends of Stockers Lake to take one of these leaflets and subscribe to join, and it will cost us all of five pounds. And so he was um, moving into our path, a bit like the spirit told Philip to move into the path of the Ethiopian. This 84-year-old moved into our path and 
and <clears throat> talk to us. <clears throat> excuse me. And I just want to share briefly what impressed me about him. Firstly, he's 84 and he's out in the bitter cold. This tells you it means a lot to him. He could be doing a lot of other warmer, more comfortable things than this. Secondly, he told us he'd been involved with Stockers Lake since he moved to the area 40 years ago. Wow. It shows a long-term commitment and dedication to this cause. Very impressive. Next thing is he told us specifically about the benefits. We're, we're raising 20,000 pounds to be able to put cattle in this area, which will mean that wildflowers will grow and it'll be better for the environment, for butterflies, for insects, for birds. It'll, you know, 20,000 pounds is what we need, and this is why. He painted a picture of the benefits that would accrue. As we give more money, and it'll look better, and there'll be more wild, wild uh, fowl and all kinds of stuff. He painted the picture. He was proud of the achievements. He said that this was the best, along with a, another place in Tring, they were the two best reserves in the whole of Hertfordshire. He was proud of, of, of that. I liked that. Um, he was carrying appropriate literature with him. He was give, giving us something that would be useful to, for, to further his aims. Um, he came out at a time of day and a location where he was likely to find people of sympathetic to what he was wanting us to do, right there at the lake. Uh, he was friendly. He was smiling, even though it was cold and he was old. He was clear on what he hoped we would do. He said, please take this, please sign up. He showed us where, where it was, five pounds, and uh, you know, gift aid it so that we can get the, uh, the gift aid and it'll be worth more. He was very specific about what he wanted us to do, but without being pushy. It was interesting. He wasn't pushy. Um, he told us what next action to take. What I'd like you to do is take this home and sign up and do this. And he told us what it would cost, five pounds. He counted the cost with us. And he did all that in less than five minutes. And we were left with a decision to make. And actually, we haven't yet signed up. But, but don't tell him that. Um, but I thought it was a masterful display of just a lot. He, he cares about that lake. And he cares about connecting with other people who can care about that lake. Now, in some limited way, maybe there's a parallel for us. We care about Jesus. We care about people. All we've got to try and do is listen to the Spirit to connect us with the people who are already seeking. It's not our job to make people seek. It's not even possible to do that. Our job is to connect with those whom God puts in our path or directs us to who are seeking. So that's really all there is for us to think about here today is what does God want us to learn from the Spirit, from the Ethiopian, and from Philip. What is it he wants us to learn about? Pray over, I've got a handout by the way which summarizes some of this so we'll give that out afterwards. I'd like us to pray over how we can be more in tune with the Spirit's priorities. How can you and I be more in tune with the Spirit's priorities? I think that's something to talk about and something to pray about. If you are a spiritual Ethiopian and you are seeking, then why not act like the Ethiopian? and ask someone to explain to you more about that Messiah and learn about what it means to find joy on the road because he went on his way rejoicing. And if you are a Philip or a potential Philip, which of the attitudes and actions of Philip inspire you the most, make you think, gosh, I'd like more of that. I need to be more like that. I would like to be more like Philip. Which, what, what is it specifically? And then pray over how you can express that in the next week or so. We can grow in these things. Uh, 
the Ethiopian was just on a desert road. It turned out to be the road that changed his life. And he went on his way rejoicing. And I'm pretty sure Philip went on his way rejoicing, realizing that all of that strangeness of the instructions of the Spirit were actually the way that he was going to bring joy to someone he'd never met before. God can use us to do the same things. God bless. Thanks. <laughs>